Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been with us this last month, you know that we have been in the midst of a series that we have called the ABCs of Faith, a series that has taken us through Romans chapters 4 and 5. And in those chapters, we have seen that there is a key that turns the ignition of our salvation. There is something that activates what God wants to do for us in Christ and, and makes it uh, relevant in our lives and, and attaches us to what Christ has done, and that is uh, faith. Faith in God and what he is offering us in Christ. It's not through our good works. It's not through our adherence of the law. It's not through our practice of different ceremonies. But it's as a gracious gift that God gives us through Christ that we receive by faith. And uh, we've seen that and that it offers to us a a multitude of benefits. And and so far in the three weeks of this series, we've been walking through uh, these things. If you wanted a little uh, clue as to where the name of this series comes from or something that will help you come back to Romans 4 in the future, uh, know that this is our two chapters in God's Word that are about faith. That's in the title, but it it takes us from Abraham in chapter 4 to Christ in chapter 5. So A, B, Abraham, C, Christ. Hopefully that's something that will help you as you go forward to get into God's Word. Today, though, we're going to be talking about how the blessings of Christ um, and through his one act of dying on the cross might be applied to the many. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul has declared that salvation comes through the gracious work of Christ and his death on the cross, but that might seem a little strange to us at times. I mean, how can one act done 2,000 years ago be relevant for our lives today? We're going to see Paul explain something of that today in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. But before we we look at those verses, I want to just make an observation about life. And that observation is this. There are things about you and there are things about me that are true because we have inherited them. Based on the parents that you have, there was a genetic pool that made you. And so because of that, there are things that are true about you. And I'll give you some examples from my life. I mean, I have dark hair because I'm a Robinson. I'm five feet, 10 inches tall because I'm a Robinson. And I didn't get a choice in that. I didn't get a say in that. That just, that just happened. I was born that way. I inherited these traits from my parents. And you have inherited different things from your family because you had a different makeup. Now, sometimes that bothers us a little bit, or sometimes we haven't come to, to realize that there are some limitations in our lives because of things we've inherited. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, my, my son, nine-year-old son, driving down the road the other day, and he's in the back seat with one of his buddies. And they're talking about what they're going to do when they grow up in life. And so I'm, I'm, my ears kind of perk up. I'm listening to this conversation as it unfolds. Dead serious conversation. And they said, when we grow up, we're going to live together. I'm like, oh, that's nice. They're going to have roommates. You know, they're good friends. We're going to live together. And we're going to live in Orlando. I thought, oh, well, that's nice. Florida, no state tax. I mean, there's some good things there. So we're going we're to live together. We're going to live in Florida. And, and, and I thought, well, that's interesting. But then they kept going. And, and one of the little boys who was with Josh in the back goes, and I'll work at Legoland. I thought, well, that's, that's pretty big news for the kid. And, and then Josh goes, that's right. And I'll pay for our house because I'll be the starting point guard for the Orlando Magic. 
Now, well, that's, that's really nice too. But then I was just thinking how sad that he has not realized that you don't take Mark and Kimberly Robinson and end up with a starting NBA point guard. Um, you just don't do it. There's no way to get there. There's not enough raw stuff in there for him to be there. Now, you know, miracles happen, and you can pray along those lines of, along with us. Uh, but that's his dream, right? But he has inherited some physical characteristics because of the parents that he have. You have inherited some physical characteristics because of the parents that you have. But are there any things that all of us share? I mean, after all, if you go back far enough, all of us share a common ancestor. As a matter of fact, the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1, and it says, in the beginning God created, and in this creation he set a garden, and in the garden he placed who? Adam and Eve, the very first people. So in a sense, our great, 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 grandfather is all the same. It's it all, we all go back to Adam. And so because we share a common ancestor, should we not expect that we've inherited some common traits? Well, in Romans chapter 5, Paul is going to explain to us that we have indeed inherited some things from our forefather, Adam. And they are things that have been inherited by every person who lives on the face of the earth. And, and it's not an eye color, and it's not a hair color, and it's not a height. But we've inherited some spiritual traits. Uh, we're going to see that today from Romans chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Romans 5 and verse 12. We're going to spend our time in these verses, 12 to 21, and then make a couple of observations, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let me first read for us Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes and says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam." who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now in these verses, we're going to see a couple of things today couple of things that we've inherited and an opportunity that God has extended to us. 
The first thing we're going to see is this. We're all born eventually dying. We're all born eventually dying. We see this in verses 12 to 14. Now, Paul is going to anchor this truth for us in the one man, Adam, our forefather, the ancestor that we all share. He's going to anchor this truth back to Adam. And he's going to describe this time when, when Adam was living in the garden. If you remember the story in Genesis 1, God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. And God tells Adam and Eve that they are free to eat from any tree in the garden except one. They are not to eat from which tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're not to eat from that tree. God very clearly tells them that. And yet the serpent comes in and deceives them and and they partake and they eat of this fruit, directly disobeying what God had commanded. Now, that is the first sin that ever took place. Up until that time, humanity had not sinned. Adam and Eve had not sinned. There was, there was a beginning to sin, and this is it. As it relates to humanity, sin begins in the garden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Now, when that happened, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that consequences immediately came to humanity. And and the consequences that that came at that moment was a spiritual death. At the moment they disobeyed God, they had a separation from God and even a separation from one another. Remember, they were hiding in the garden from each other and from God. There was an immediate spiritual break, a spiritual death that happened. But but not only that, but, but God comes and then issues a declaration of condemnation upon their actions. And he says, what you've done is wrong and there are consequences. And he talks to Eve and he talks to Adam. And one of the consequences that, that happens is they're kicked out of the garden. There's a break in the fellowship. There's a, a break in paradise. But not only that, God makes this statement to Adam at the end of his, of, of his condemnation that he proclaims, and he says, you will return to the dust from which you were created. God lets him know that death will follow because of his sin. So in the garden, with the first man, sin and death enter into this world. Now, it's almost impossible for you and I to imagine a world without sin and death, isn't it? Almost impossible because we live in a world that is dominated by sin and death. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. He says, we live in a world that is covered with cemeteries. Every town, any place that has been inhabited by people, there's a cemetery there. We live in a world that is, that is dominated by death. And we live in a world where sin is everywhere. It's in our home, it's in our lives, it's in our community, it's in our world, it's in our country. Where did that come from? Where did it begin? Well, the Bible tells us that it began at the very beginning when Adam and Eve committed a single sin. And when that sin was committed, the consequence that came was that sin was transmitted to humanity. We were all condemned because of that. And death became a part of our experience. Paul makes this case beginning in verse 12. 
Chapter 5, verse 12 is a theologically rich verse. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, in other words, that sin that Adam committed, that was the door that opened that sin came in through this, this one act of Adam. And then death through sin, we saw that, Adam would eventually die. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. That is really the punchline for us. Because not only were the consequences that Adam experienced felt by Adam, but they have been felt by every descendant of Adam from that point on. The effects of sin and death have been inherited by you and me, the sons and daughters of Adam. When Adam sinned, we were born sinners. When the proclamation of death came to Adam, we were born in a world full of cemeteries, born eventually dying. See, this is something that has happened through the sin of, of, of Adam. Verse 13 goes on and says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Now that's, that's a mouthful. What, what is that referring to? The idea of what Paul is trying to say here is that people have been marked by sin since the time of Adam. God would not give the law to Moses for a couple of thousand years after Adam lived. But even though the law was given much later, people were being born and living and dying under the impact of sin and death throughout that entire period. As a matter of fact, the book of Genesis and the first part of the book of Exodus are full of examples that the world was living in sin and death even before the law was given to Moses. I mean, think about some of the things that happened. With Cain and Abel, there was murder. With the Tower of Babel, there was rebellion against God. With the flood in in Noah's day, there was an egregious offense that had happened before God. With with Abraham and with Isaac, there was lies that, that, that were told. With, with Joseph, his brothers conspired against him, and they threw him in a, in, a, in a hole. With the Israelites, they were kept in slavery in the, the land of Egypt. Now, now, what were all of those things? Well, all of those things were expressions of sin, and they all predated the giving of the law. Paul's point is that even before God gave a law to identify the full extent of his holiness, from the time of Adam, people have lived sinful lives. They have walked away from whatever they have understood about God and they have done their own thing from the very, very beginning. See, we live in a world that is marked by sin. You know what's interesting? When you see the the genealogy of of Adam mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, it says Adam was born and he lived this many years. And guess how each of those phrases ends? He lived this many years and then he died. And his son lived this many years and then he died died. It's just a reminder from the very beginning, the sin of Adam and Eve led to the transmission of sin down through history. 
It's been inherited by everyone since so that we have lived our lives marked by sin under the condemnation that sin brings and living in a world that is marked by death. We have been born eventually dying. Now, that ought to make you a little uncomfortable. And here, here's, here's why. I mean, as Americans, this bothers us. It bothers us as Americans because we, we can't imagine, it seems terribly unfair for us to be punished for someone else's actions. It's like, wait a minute, this guy thousands of years ago eats a fruit and therefore I'm born a sinner? That just doesn't seem fair to us. And so there's, there's something about our American individualism and the American dream, and you can be whoever you want to be. There's part of that that just bugs you a little bit. Um, we'll talk in a minute about maybe what God was up to through that. But there's part of it that kind of rubs us wrong that way. There's part of it also that rubs us wrong because if this means that everybody is born uh, impacted by sin and born with this kind of sinful tendency, then that means that we're all not basically good. And that, that bothers us too. We want to think of the best of everybody in every situation. And you know, that, that, that's okay for us to believe the best in people. That's something that we're called to do in love. But at the core of, of, of who we are, there's selfishness. At the core of Mark Robinson is selfishness apart from Christ. And that's the case for, for all of us. See, we are, we are born sinful. And that bothers us a little bit, but, it, but it's just because it bothers us, does it mean it's not true? And if it's true, where did it come from? Well, it came from this initial sin that was committed. And you know what? We, we live in a world that is marked by death. You know, when I, I mentioned death, just, just think in your life of all of the funerals that you've attended. And when I say that, it brings, brings heartache to you because you're going to remember a funeral of somebody that you loved. It might be recently, it might be long ago, but there's sorrow that comes with that. And you might have asked yourself at some point, where, where did this come from? Where did death come from? It's so painful. It seems so broken. Where did it come from? Well, we're reminded here that death follows sin. One of the, the consequences of sin is death. So we live in a world that is marked by sin and death, and it anchors all the way back to our great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. Now, why is it that, that God would, would take this, this one act and condemn humanity as a result? Why is that? Well, I think it reveals his holiness. But why else? We'll get to that in a second. You see, we're born eventually dying. But there's a second beautiful truth that is listed here for us, and that is this. We are reborn, eternally living. We are born eventually dying, but we are reborn, eternally living in Christ. Jesus had a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and in that conversation, he said that for any of us to experience eternal life, we would need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? You might have heard that, that phrase, born again, before. It comes from John 3. And what Jesus was saying was, because we are all sons and daughters of Adam, we all should expect death. But there is an opportunity for us to begin life new again. Not on the basis of our physical birth, but on the basis of a spiritual rebirth in Christ. 
that God wants to offer us something through him that will absolutely trump and eclipse everything that we have inherited from Adam, that we can experience something wholly new and different in Christ. Just as through one man came death, so through the one man Christ can come eternal life. This is the point of what Paul says in verses 15 and following. Now, what he, what he does from 15 to 17 is he's going to contrast the one act of Adam's sin with the one act of Christ dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He's going to contrast those two things. He's going to call what Jesus did the free gift. It's consistent with the language he's used throughout chapters 4 and 5. And he's going to call Adam's act the trespass. Now listen to the way he contrasts these two. Verse 15, he he says, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. In other words, we live in this world of death because of the one sin of Adam. But in in Christ, through his, his one act, abundant life, abounding life, can be given by the grace of God to all who receive it. Through Adam, death, through Christ, abundant life. That's consistent with what Jesus said in John 10, 10. I have come that they might have life. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Through the one man comes death. Through Jesus comes abundant living by his grace. Verse 16, he says this way, He says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following the many trespasses brought justification. Because of the one act of Adam brings condemnation to humanity, but because of the one act of Christ offering his life brings justification for all who receive it. Now, earlier I mentioned that the holiness of God is demonstrated and revealed because of his judgment of one sin. I mean, that's, that's pretty holy, right? I mean, Adam takes a bite from one fruit, and because of that bite of that one fruit, judgment comes upon all humanity. That's the holiness of God. It's revealed through that. But here's the thing. Think about what's happened since then. There have been a multitude of sins committed since then. There have been billions and billions and billions of sins committed since Adam sinned in the garden. Many of those sins have been committed by me. Many of those sins have been committed by you. If God's holiness is revealed through his judgment of the one sin of Adam, what is revealed by God doing something so wonderful in response to the multitude of our sins? Well, that reveals his heart. That reveals his heart. A heart that so longs to be with us, a heart that so loves us that he would provide a way through the one man Christ to move us from condemnation to justification, to move us from death to life because of what Jesus did on the cross. So, see, it seems unfair to us to think that God would have us be impacted by the one man's sin. But you know what? It sure seems to me like God is setting up the story. 
to let us know that as, as sin by one man leads to condemnation for all, the righteous life by the one man Christ can lead to eternal life. From the garden to the cross to Wildwood Community Church, God is proclaiming the gospel to us. Folks, the heart of God is demonstrated by his response to the multitude of our sins. And you know what? Our sins are great and and our sins are shameful and we hate them. But guess what? God responds to the multitude of our sins by sending Jesus to the cross. so that we might have life. Verse 17, he continues, for for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, and through that one man much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. Again, this is a beautiful picture. If we have death reigning over humanity from the time of Adam, in Christ, it the, the, the equation flips, but notice how he says it. He doesn't just say that we go from the, the dominion of death to the dominion of life. He goes, we, we go from the dominion of death to reigning with Christ in righteous life. What a gift. What a gift. We have, we have been offered this transformation from not being merely defined by our tombstone, but being defined by what Christ wants to offer us. Eternal life found in the one man, Jesus Christ, in his righteous gift for us. After contrasting those two, Paul begins in 18 to 21 to really compare the two, Adam and Christ. And he's going to compare them, not saying that they're, they're equal, but there's this similarity that there was one and one, one man, one man, one act, one act. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What a beautiful picture, right? The gospel from the garden to the cross to us. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This really is a a tie back to his statement about this period of time from Adam to Moses. The idea is that when when Moses got the law of God, that people became aware of even more sin. So God giving the law to Moses didn't make people less sinful. It actually made them more sinful because they found out how holy God was and they fell short even further. But he says that where sin abounded, grace was even more. There was an overflowing measure of God's grace to meet every single sin. And this is good news for us because if we're honest, many of us think that God's grace only goes so far. It goes as far as these sins, but I've got four or five that God can't forgive. And we beat ourselves up over those things. We stay away from God because of those those things. This verse, verse 20, lets us know that the grace of God goes well beyond whatever we think the limits of our sin are. God's grace goes even further, enabling us to be forgiven because of the one man's act of death 
on the cross. Verse 21 summarizes it with a conclusion. He says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. Friends, we know we live in a world that is marked by sin. I've got a friend that recently went to a conference in, in Las Vegas, and we were joking about how, you know, this is sin city. Well, you know what? We live in sin world. It just looks prettier in Vegas, right? I mean, the buildings are, are bigger. There's more fountains. Um, but everywhere we go, we live in a world that is marked by sin. It's everywhere. It's in our home. It's in our lives. We live in a world that is marked by death. We attend funeral after funeral. We grieve loss after loss. But there is a hope that transcends and eclipses, goes beyond all of those things. And that hope is found in the one man, Jesus Christ, who is able to usher us from death to life. And the question for us who are born eventually dying is have we been reborn eternally living? Have we trusted in Christ? Have we made him our captain? Are we following him so that his life might be our life? For some of you who are here today, today was a reminder of the gift that God has already given you in Christ, and you can worship from your heart in in freedom today. But for others of you who are here today, uh, you're stuck someplace with a few sins that you thought were, were unforgivable. You're stuck someplace thinking that you need to impress God with some period of righteous living before he would would receive you. Or you're stuck someplace thinking there's no way that one person's life 2,000 years ago could have any impact on my life today. Well, God has given us Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21 to get us unstuck. To illuminate our hearts, to open our eyes so that we can see all that God is offering us in Christ, that we might respond in faith. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, I pray that today would be the day that you do so. And that that happens not just by following a ceremony or adhering to the law in some way. It happens in this moment by just repenting from the the idea that that you yourself can impress God, can earn an, an audience before him, and receiving the gift of the one man, the free gift described in Romans 5 that leads to eternal life. And if you believe that in your heart and you confess that to God, then today can be the day that salvation comes to you. Warren Wiersbe summarizes this section this way. He says, Adam came from the earth, but Jesus is the Lord from heaven. Adam was tested in a garden surrounded by beauty and love. Jesus was tempted in a wilderness, and he died on a cruel cross surrounded by hatred and ugliness. Adam was a thief and was cast out of paradise, but Jesus Christ turned to a thief and said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The Old Testament is the book of the generations of Adam, and it ends with a curse. The New Testament is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, and it ends with no more curse. Friends, paradise is offered again to us in the one man, Jesus Christ.